The second Bible reading today will come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, and it can be found on your Pew Bibles on pages 1,239. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of our archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Good evening, friends. Uh, If we've not met, my name's Pete. I'm a Christian worker at nearby Deakin University with the Christian Union, uh, and I'm a member of this church. Uh, and I'm excited to be one. One of the things I love about our church is we do consecutively work through the Word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but inevitably that brings us to parts of the Bible which for some of us at different times we would rather avoid. Uh, it may be that the part of the Bible we look at today is one of those parts for some of us. Uh, we're going to speak tonight about death. We're going to speak tonight about hope in death. Uh, friends, God's Word to us is always a good word. It's a gracious word to us. Even when it warns and challenges, it's a good word. But for some of us, this, John said, this, this might be raw. I want to acknowledge that now. And I want, if that's you, I, I desperately hope that you will find comfort in the Lord Jesus because in these words he offers comfort to us. Let's pray again and let's consider these words. Our Heavenly Father, again, we do thank you for your wonderful word about your Son, about all he has done for us and about all he will do when he returns. Father, we pray tonight as we think about uh, this very real topic of death that we would hear the real hope you offer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Friends, I don't know about you, uh, but I'll never forget my first funeral. Uh, I was just 18 years old, uh, just uh, out of high school and just out of home, uh, and my grandfather a man I deeply loved and was very close to, died. Uh, I can still remember being at work at the steelworks at the time and seeing my supervisor walk towards me uh, with that grey, hopeless look uh, in his face. Uh, I can remember being called into the office where the company social worker was waiting and I can remember the sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach when I worked out, even before she opened her mouth, why she had called me in. And I remember the funeral. Now, if you know me even just a little bit, you'll know I actually have about the worst uh, memory in the world, but I remember that funeral. I remember the hall we met in. I remember the faces of my family. I remember the crowd that turned up. But most of all, what I remember is the massive difference in the grief of some who were there that day and the grief of others. 
I can remember it was as if you could have drawn a line right down the centre of the church and there on one side there was nothing but hopeless despair and grief. And there on the other, well, I remember my little brother saying at the time, it looks like they almost want to have a party. Now to say that they wanted to have a party was stretching it just a little bit but he had a point. There was a radical, observable difference in the way those two groups dealt with my grandfather's death. And the question I ask is why? What did the party group know that the others didn't? What gave them uh, an observable hope and peace and even amidst the tears, a joy even in the face of death? when late last year so many of us gathered together right here for 25-year-old Tim Dillis Memorial or or when those who loved and lost just this week in Nice or in Turkey or in so many other unreported places around the world, when death comes heartbreakingly close to us and it's our mother or our sister or our child. And friends, particularly for those perhaps who are young in the room, if you think it won't, please will you think again. Just last Sunday I gave a message similar to this at a small country church, about three or four rows of this one, and after the service three members came up to talk to me about those close to them who had just recently died. Just this week I spoke to John and he said in his time here already at church he's given more funerals than he has weddings. This is real. Death is real. If it hasn't already, it will come close to you and when it does, my question is, what has the power in that awful and inevitable moment to give you hope and peace and even amid the tears, joy, even in the face of death. Well, friends, that's what we find out here. That's why this passage was written. Will you look at it with me? Pick it up, verse 13. Verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. You see, as Paul continues his letter to those he loves in Thessalonica, he shares with them two deep desires for them. The first is that they will not be uninformed about those who fall asleep. In other words, that they will not be ignorant about those who sleep in death. After all, if death does anything, it exposes our ignorance, doesn't it? We see it all over the news right now. It fills us with questions. In particular, questions about those we've loved and lost. About what has happened to them. Where is my grandma? Where is my daughter? Are they okay? Has their pain finally stopped? Will I ever see them again? And Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant about those questions. I do not want you to be uninformed, my brothers and sisters. Why? Well, here's Paul's second desire. So that you will not grieve like the rest 
who have no hope. Now notice, won't you, what Paul doesn't say. It's desperately important. He doesn't say notice, so you will not grieve. Full stop. So you will not cry. Not ever. So you will not hurt for days and weeks and years. This is not some, some harsh and insensitive command. It's as if you say, come on, big boys don't cry. Big girls don't cry. Don't you cry. Now that's not what he says. It's right to grieve. It's right to cry. Just as Jesus did. Do you remember? Do you remember at the tomb of Lazarus? Even when he knew he was going there to wake him up, what did Jesus do? Jesus wept over death. And so should we. But not, Paul says, not like the rest who have no hope. Not like those who think that death is the great full stop on life but instead with a different kind of grief. Why? Because unlike all the rest, all the rest, we have hope. And friends, if you're very familiar with Christianity, you really just have to remember sometimes, this is unlike all the rest. You know, I was talking to one of our old neighbours once uh, after the death of her own dear husband and do you know what she said? to comfort herself and her granddaughter with her. It's okay, she said. Alf's up there. Granddad's up there. He's one of those twinkling stars looking down. It's okay. Granddad is now one of those stars looking down on us. And and, and I guess you can understand why she said it, especially with the granddaughter. I mean, you've got to say something. But as you and I know, as she herself knew, and I think even her granddaughter knew, that is an empty, hopeless, deceitful response in the face of death. And friends, we have something so much better. Why? Because we have hope in Jesus. You see, what was the difference in that church hall at my grandfather's funeral? Or or even right here last year at Tim's memorial? What was it that half the room knew and half the room didn't? It was this. It was that half the room knew that Jesus died and rose again. And because he did, when he returns, so too will all who trust in him. Have a look at verse 14. Verse 14. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the very same way God will bring with him, God will raise like him, when he comes again, those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. You know, one contemporary of Paul wrote, nobody wakes from death. Paul disagrees. Another wrote, hopes are for the living, the dead are without hope. 
Friends, God disagrees. He says that because Jesus died, because Jesus rose, when he returns, Jesus himself will reach down to those we've loved and lost and say, Tim, Jane, Sally, it's time to wake up. It's time to get up now. And friends, that's what they'll do. They will wake up. And see, that's why sleep, did did you see it there? That's why sleep is such a perfect description of Christian death, don't you think? That's why almost exclusively, right throughout the whole New Testament, that's how Christian death is described. After all, do you remember what Jesus said of Lazarus back in John chapter 11? Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. Or in 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul speaks of those who saw the risen Jesus, what does he say? Most of them are still alive. But some have fallen asleep. Or as we heard Jesus say tonight to Jairus' daughter in our reading from Matthew 9, the girl's not dead but asleep. And of course the crowd laughed and mocked and jeered. After all, they knew just as we know that nobody just wakes up from death. But then what did Jesus do? As a physical promise of what he will one day do for all who trust in him. Jesus went in and took her by the hand and Jesus woke her up. Friends, because Jesus died, Christians only sleep. And because Jesus rose, All Christians, on the day that he returns, will wake up to life. And here's how it will happen. Verse 15. Have a look. Verse 15. For we say this to you by revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, of course, the rest of the New Testament will have a whole lot more to say about what will happen when Jesus returns. For example, what will happen to the created world? Uh, What will happen for those who refuse to believe? But, But here... For those who grieve fellow believers who've already gone to the grave, Paul wants to make two things crystal clear. What are they? Well, it's that first, for both those who sleep in death and for those who remain alive, Jesus' return will be unmissable. Jesus' return will be unmissable. And second, that the best thing about Jesus' return is that we get to be with Jesus forever. 
After all, you can imagine, can't you, how the, the Thessalonians must have worried. They must have worried, first of all, for those, their friends who had died. They, they were, after all, the first generation after Jesus had died and risen. They, like us, were looking for his return. But see, now some of their friends were dying before Jesus returned. Were they somehow going to miss it? Were they going to miss out? No, says Paul. Don't worry. Don't worry about those who sleep in Christ. Verse 15, they won't be disadvantaged. Verse 16, they'll be rising first. And don't worry about yourselves either, verse 16. Don't worry for a second that that somehow you too could miss this. You won't miss this. Nobody will miss this. After all, did you see it there? How could you? With the loud command and the shout of the angel and the blast from the trumpet and the Lord coming and the dead rising and us lifting. Now, now of course, some cult groups, like the Jehovah's Witness, want to tell you otherwise. In fact, they even tell us that Jesus has already come back. I don't know if you knew that. He's kind of snuck in and snuck out. But Paul says, there'll be no sneaking. No matter who you are or where you are or even whether you're dead or alive, you will not miss this. Or better yet, you will not miss him. You will not miss the one who made you and saved you and is coming back again for you. You know, C.S. Lewis once wrote in, in a book about the death of his own wife how for a long time he made the mistake of treating Jesus more like the road than the destination, more like the means of being reunited with those he dearly loved rather than the one that he longed for even more than them. And friends, I wonder if like me, especially in the face of death, if you've ever done that too, Well, Paul wants to protect us from that mistake. And so even as he writes to comfort us, to remind us that for the Christian, death is not the end, to remind us that we will be reunited to those we have loved and lost in Christ, even then he reminds us that the best thing about Jesus' return, the very best thing, is that with those we've loved and lost in him, we get to be with Jesus forever. Verse 17 again, did you see the way it ends? And so, we will always be with the Lord. See, friends, I don't know if it was like this for you growing up or perhaps for your kids or grandkids if you've got them, but at the end of every year, our family packs up for the, the annual 20-hour grandparent circuit and you know, the kids are loaded in and the snacks are loaded in and the toys are loaded in about as many electronic distractions as we could find and we start the journey and we continue the journey and we continue the journey and we continue the journey. And as much as the are we there yet sort of multiply the longer the journey goes on, so too there's something else. Do you know what it is? 
It's the excitement, the anticipation. And I suppose grandma's delicious and patented sausage rolls have something to do with it. And I suppose the jumping castle slash water slide at Grand and Gramps' house has something to do with it. But you know what? When we at last stop that car and the doors fling open and it's not always in that order either (laughs) and the kids run out, it's not the sausage rolls they run to. It's not even the jumping castle they run to. What do they run to? It's Gran and Gramps. It's Grandma and Grandad. It's they who make their place their place. And so it will be on that day, Paul says, only even more so, even as we run to those we've loved and lost in Christ, we will together run to him who's come for us. And so Paul says, verse 18, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. Encourage one another that Jesus is coming to take his people home. Jesus is coming to take it. So remind one another, Paul says, and actually say it to one another. When we speak of Nice and Turkey, actually say it to each other. Say, isn't that terrible? Isn't that awful? But isn't it great that that isn't all there is? Isn't it great that Jesus will return? Or or when things go well and Nice fades from view, still actually say to each other, say, isn't this wonderful? Isn't it good what God's given us? But isn't it great that it's going to get even better? Isn't it great that Jesus will return? Encourage one another with these words, Paul says. In fact, in what I, I realise and completely realise is a very unpresbyterian move, we're going to do that right now. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to turn to someone next to you. And I'm going to ask you to say, it's written on your outlines, it's really fat and big, you can't really miss it. I'm going to ask you to say to the person next to you, Jesus is coming to take his people home. And almost everyone's going to do it, so you're going to be more awkward if you don't than if you do, so let's just roll with that. I'm going to count to three and we're going to say it together. Here we go. One, two, three. Jesus is coming to take his people home. Now, that was just borderline awful, so we're going to do it again. (laughs) On the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is coming to take his people home. Friends, let's say that to each other. Let's say it to each other here. And friends, let's say it to each other amid the tears and in the pain when one day death comes. Jesus is coming to take his people home. Friends, as we draw to a close, just two more things to say. And the first is this. Please do notice, won't you, that this promise only applies to those who die in Christ. Only those who live in him now will rise in him then. Only those who fall asleep, forgiven by Jesus, 
will rise again forgiven by Jesus. Now, I remember a student asking on campus down at Deacon just a year or two ago, she wrote this, how long exactly do we have when Jesus gets back to make a decision about him? How long does my husband have to change his mind about Jesus? The answer is, of course, no time. When death comes, it's too late. When Jesus returns, it's too late. Now is the time to make the decision. Now is the time to live for him. And so, friends, if you are here and you haven't yet done that, please, would you do that tonight? Or at least, will you start a conversation tonight? Will you get ready for this? And if you already have, and if you are already ready, then friends, I do hope you are encouraged by these words. You know, when our Emily was just four years old, she went through this phase of where she hated being left by her mum. Eric would take her to creche or to kindergarten and try to leave her and Emily would just sob her eyes out and do that things kids do where they sort of cling to a leg and you're walking around like a pirate, sobbing her eyes out. Anyways, one day Erica sat her down and looked into her teary little eyes and do you know what she said? Emily, it's okay. Mummy always comes back. Do you understand? Mummy always comes back. Later we were chatting to the crash helpers and they were telling us about a conversation they'd had with Emily. She got knocked over by some big bad bully and she was a little bit sad and, and they asked if she was okay and do you know what she said to them? It's okay. Mummy always comes back. Mummy always comes back. And friends, so said God to us. So said God to us, both for us who are alive and for those we've lost and loved. Jesus always comes back. Jesus is coming to take his people home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that yours is a good word and yours is a wonderful hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that because he died for us and because he has risen again, because he will return, that those we have loved and lost in Christ will rise. And we, if we trust in the Lord Jesus, will rise. And we will get to be with Jesus forever. Our Father, we, I pray that this hope will be real to us, especially in the face of death. And Father, I pray for any here in the room who are still thinking of Jesus, still contemplating their position before him. Father, I pray that tonight is a night where they will take a step toward the Lord Jesus and toward the hope we have in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.